Mark chapter 4. Our text this afternoon is going to be verse 35 down through verse 41. So you follow along as I read, beginning in verse 5. And the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was, in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The context of our text this afternoon goes all the way back to chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, and it's all been in the same day. It's been a very long and difficult day for Jesus, and the events of that day began back in chapter 3 in verse 20, where the Bible says here, and the multitude cometh together again so that they could not so much as eat bread And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is beside himself. And then the Bible says that these other scribes and Pharisees and others had all come uh, to find Jesus. He had a confrontation with the Pharisees, in fact. In verse 22, the Bible says there that he called unto them, or excuse me, he called them unto him and said unto them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself, he is divided. He cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and excuse me, and then he will spoil his house. And we find this confrontation goes down through verse 30. But among that as well, the Bible tells us that Jesus taught the people in parables. And then Jesus spent a lot of time explaining those parables to his disciples. What also we find a little bit later is during that same day, Jesus sat in a little boat just off the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he used that that boat as a, a pulpit, if you will, to preach the, to these great multitudes of people that gathered to hear him. Chapter 4 and verse 1, And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the, uh, in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the land. And so a lot of stuff's going on in this day. And when that day is over, he calls his disciples together to set sail for the other side of the lake. And our text says that in verse 35, the same day when the even was come. And so there's a lot of stuff that's been happening that day, a very busy day. But the day is not over. And at the end of the day, in the evening, he calls his disciples to go to the other side. Now, when darkness fell, 
The disciples were making their way across the Sea of Galilee, and while they were steering the boat, Jesus is fast asleep in the rear of the ship. He was weary from that long day of busyness. And we see one of the clearest portraits of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ here. He was tired from a long day of work. And we, you know what, in that, just as a side note, I'm thankful to the Lord that He understands my own weaknesses. You know, that I get weary and I get tired and sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's emotional. But Jesus is able to sympathize with my condition when I get tired, the Bible says He remembereth our frame and He knows that we're dust. I'm thankful the Lord does that. Most of the Lord's disciples were used to being on the Sea of Galilee. And even at night, they were fishermen by trade, many of them. And so they would have been used to being out there on the sea. But some things happened this night that would really change their lives and would really change their perception of who Jesus is. And this miracle that we see recorded before us here, where Jesus calms the sea, He spoke a word, He rebuked the wind, there was a great calm. That miracle that He performs proved to the disciples, and it proves to us as well, that Jesus Christ truly is Lord of all. It demonstrates that He's the master over every situation. And that's what I want to preach on this afternoon, that Jesus is the master of the deep. That night in that storm that we read about, the disciples found themselves in the fight of their lives. They thought they were going to die. They experienced the Lord's power to deliver them, and they lived to tell the tale. Amen? Their experience has a lot to teach us today about some life things too, because in a sense, we're all involved in a journey today, because this life is not all that there is. We're moving towards a destination as children of God. And as we journey, there are things that happen in life that can really toss us around. And like the disciples, we often think that those moments might actually just destroy us. And I think that things happen in life that cause us that we to that we tells us that we need to remember that these storms, if you want to call them that, they're not sent to destroy us. They're actually sent to develop us. And that's where we're going to go. And like these disciples, we need to learn some things about the Lord. And so I want to point out some observations from this passage and preach on this subject, the master of the deep. And I think you're with me where we're going here so far. So let's pray and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I ask for your help again today. And uh, Lord, uh, the, the frailties of our flesh, like sickness and things like that, can cause us to be distracted or to be uncomfortable and lose focus. And I pray that you just give us some reprieve from those things in these moments so that we can focus on your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd Help us to receive this truth and absorb it. And then, Lord, apply it in our life. It's so critical to be reminded, even though we've maybe heard these kinds of principles many times before. I know it's true in my own life. Even though I've been saved for almost 30 years, 
I find myself doubting. I find myself uh, with a lack of faith. I find myself questioning the Lord or fearing that this might just end me or destroy me. And we need to remember that there is no uh, trouble, no trial, no storm of life that's bigger than the Lord that He cannot handle, that takes Him by surprise, that You're master over all things. And Lord, I pray that You'd help, to, help me to convey that truth through this message this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want to draw your attention to is the power of this storm. In verse 37, the Bible says, And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. The power of this storm. A couple things we can learn or, or take note of here is, first of all, the suddenness of the storm. The Bible says there arose a great storm of wind. It just arose. And storms like this were actually very common on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a pretty unusual body of water. I did some reading about it. And from what we learn about it, it's relatively small in size compared to other bodies of water. It's 13 miles long and it's only seven miles wide. But if you're a boat out in the middle of that, that seems pretty big. You know, to even see seven miles uh, out on the water, it, it could be challenging, it can be difficult. And maybe uh, I've been out on, on the ocean several times and, you know, even looking across the bay at things, it's like, oh, there's the mountains over there. That doesn't seem that far away. But even the Cook Inlet, for example, is like 35 miles wide. And you can see those big mountains and you're like, it doesn't look that far away, but it actually is really that far away. You know, I mean, uh, the body of water is relatively small in size. It's about 150 feet deep. And the interesting thing about it is that the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee is actually 680 feet below sea level. And what that does is it creates a couple of situations. Because the Sea of Galilee is below sea level and it's surrounded by mountains, it's very susceptible to sudden storms. Winds that would sweep across the land, they come up and they come up over the mountains and they create these downdrafts over the lake. And then you combine that with, say, a thunderstorm that might appear suddenly over the mountains and then the water begins to stir and it stirs rather violently. And I was reading that the waves that happen on the Sea of Galilee when there's these big storms can be up to 20 feet high. For such a small body of water, that's a pretty big wave that can happen. The sea can be calm one minute and pretty violent the very next. And so from what I've read about the Sea of Galilee, the interesting thing about these, even though it's susceptible to these rogue-type storms, they hardly ever happen at night. They're always during the daytime. And so it would make sense that when Jesus tells the disciples, let's go to the other side, that they get in the boat and they start to go across. They didn't set out in a storm and they didn't expect one either because they hardly ever happen at nighttime. But a storm came anyway. Are you following this? just wanted to give you a little historical background there because 
There's a good application here. Life is that way too sometimes. Things can be fine one minute, and the next minute the bottom falls out. You can be cruising along in life as, as, and things are going fine, and then all of a sudden you find out this little bit of information that can completely rock your world and change things forever for you. It can happen. It does happen. One minute you can be enjoying the fair weathers of life, and the next you can find yourself in the middle of the storm of your life. There are physical storms. There are mental storms. There are emotional storms. And there are spiritual storms. There are storms in homes. There are storms in church. There's storms in your personal life. There's things that rage publicly for all to see, but there are storms that also manifest themselves in the secret places of the heart that nobody else really knows about. It shouldn't surprise us that they come. The Bible says that those kinds of experiences are just part of the human condition and part of the human experience. Job 14 says, What is a man's days are, are uh, a few and full of trouble right? That's how life goes sometimes. In fact, there's one man who said this. He said, you're, you're in one of three places today. You're either in a storm, just coming out of a storm, or headed back into one. <laughs> Sudden storms are a part of life. But secondly, I want you to notice the severity of it. We see the suddenness. There arose this storm. But notice the severity of it in verse 37. There arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. That's a pretty terrible situation. I imagine the times I'm out fishing with Brother Lambert out in the ocean, the Cook Inlet or whatever, and I, I can only imagine if we got stuck into something and the waves got so big that they're starting to fill the boat up with water. You just spend a few minutes out in that cold water in the Cook Inlet, you know, and you're going to get hypothermia and you're going to die. Or your boat's going to sink and then you're going to die. This wasn't a situation that the disciples are just like, hey, we got this under control. No problem here. This was a fight for their life. That's the idea that's given here. And the thing is, these seasoned fishermen who are used to being on the water are frightened by the severity of this storm. The ship is rocking. It is reeling. It is full of water. And they're afraid they're about to sink. It was a violent storm. Waves could have been up to 20 feet high getting into their boat. It was at nighttime. Couldn't see where they were at close to the shore. Other ships were out there too, the Bible says. They couldn't see how close they were to land. They couldn't see anything. They felt like they were in terrible danger and they feared for their lives. But you know what? When things come in life that toss us around, they're often severe and they can cause us great anguish and great pain. Have you been there? I know I have. I don't like it when I start walking through something I've never done before. In a situation that I've never experienced before. And we have a way of handling things sometimes in our fear and in our panic that may not exactly be the right thing to do. 
Storms sometimes come in life and they can be storms of suffering. They can blow into our life and they can devastate us with heartache and heartbreak and turmoil and anxiety. And one problem can arise and you think you're past it and another one comes along and it just buries you under these waves of affliction that you think this might be the end of me. I think a lot of people could testify to that. And your battles may be different than mine. We might share some of the same ones. I don't even know. But I think you get what I'm talking about. Other storms are storms of sorrow. Maybe someone that you love dies and it leaves you grief-stricken and shaken in your loss. Sorrow touches every life in some way. There can be storms of sin. Sin can enter the life and it can come as a sweet, pleasant, calm breeze at first. It can promise us the best, but then it displays the dark side and it rips through your life like a tornado, tearing everything up, leaving damage and destruction in its wake. That can happen. They can come. It can bring fear, it can bring anxiety, and it can bring pain. But I want you to Think with me about the source of the storm, thirdly. So they, they were, the severity of it, the suddenness of it in the lives of the disciples and something that, you know, in a familiar situation, all of a sudden is flipping their life upside down. They're afraid they're going to die, but consider the source of it. Where did that storm come from? It could have been natural, as I've said, the Sea of Galilee was susceptible to those kinds of rogue storms. God could have caused it on purpose. He certainly allowed it. But either way, that storm was not a surprise to Jesus Christ, nor was it out of His control. And the application is this. The, the things that come into our own lives, uh, they, they can come from various sources too. Sometimes the storm that's in your life is your own fault. We do things that get us into trouble and we've got to pay the price for it. We're always going to reap what we sow and sometimes we're the cause of our own storms. Other times, God sends it on purpose. You say, why would God do that? Why would God bring some trial into my life that causes pain and brings hurt and heartache? Well, maybe it's to discipline us Maybe it's to draw us closer to Him. Maybe it's to simply teach us that we need to trust Him more deeply. Those things can happen in life. And when God sends it or God allows it, it's always for a spiritual reason to draw us closer to Him in some area of life. Sometimes Satan is allowed to wreak havoc in a person's life. Remember Job? God gave Satan some liberty, but he also placed some restrictions on him too. Satan will whip up all kinds of trouble in your life to defeat you and drive you away from the Lord. He'll do everything in his power to destroy you and your faith in God. He is a real enemy. He's seeking to destroy you and to defeat you, and he'll do whatever it takes to accomplish that. 1 Peter 5.8 the devil's our adversary, and he's walking about seeking 
whom he may devour. But he's limited in his ability to torment you or put his hands on you in his life. He's limited in that ability to the power and the will of a sovereign God. And so even in that sense, it's not beyond God's control. So we see the power of this storm. It was violent. It was severe. It was sudden. But I want you to notice the problem of the storm. In verse 38, the Bible says, And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. That was, I'm in verse 36, I'm sorry. When you are blind, a six looks like an eight. So it's only one little round thing different in your Bible. The Bible says in verse 38, And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now I want you to go back to verse 35. Because the Bible says there, the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them. So this is Jesus' words right here. Let us pass over unto the other side. What was in the Lord's mind here? That they were going to pass over the sea to the other side. Amen? Right? And then we get on the, on the water and Jesus is fast asleep in the ship. The disciples heard the command of the Lord. They heard the Lord say, we're going to pass over to the other side. They heard that. And they set about doing it. The greatest storm that night wasn't actually the Sea of Galilee. The greatest storm was actually in the hearts of these disciples. The storm on the sea ended up whipping up a storm of doubt inside of them. And it threatened to drown them all. You ever been there? Circumstances of life start causing you to have a storm of doubt inside. And while that storm was raging around them, the Bible says that Jesus is fast asleep in the hinder part or the back part of the boat. And the Bible says they went and they came and they awoke Jesus out of sleep. That word awake there that you read in verse 38, it means to rouse from sleep. And it was used to speak of, of a, a, like when the sea was very calm and then the wind started to blow and it starts to agitate the, the sea and make it move and so on. And so the idea is that these disciples came in to wake Jesus and they didn't say, Jesus, Jesus, wake up. No, what they did was they came in and they started shaking him. Wake up! That's what they were doing. And you can imagine, they were terrified. And you can imagine that they were losing hope. And they thought that they were going to die. They weren't going to survive this. And what it teaches us or tells us is that these guys had some doubt going on in their minds. What were they doubting? Well, first of all, we can learn that they were doubting his goodness. Notice what the Bible says that they said to Jesus. They, they await Jesus and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? What were they doubting? They were doubting the goodness 
of the Lord. They accused the Lord of not caring about what they were facing in that moment. Why this doubt? Why this doubt? Because they had already seen the compassion and the goodness of the Lord in action. They had seen Jesus conquer devils in people's lives. They had seen Jesus conquer disease that was destroying people. They even saw Jesus conquer death in raising people from the dead. And now here they are in this situation in their own life, and they're afraid. They should have known that they were safe with Jesus on board. You know what the problem was? They were looking at the situation and not at the Savior. But before we get too hard on these disciples, maybe we could, should consider our own life and our own hearts for a minute. Have there been times when things are not comfortable in your life and you feel like there's some kind of something raging around and you start to question God's care or God's concern. I'm telling you, I've been saved almost 30 years. I'm not what I used to be. But I still find myself at times in situations looking at the circumstance, looking at the situation and starting to fret and starting to wonder and even starting to fear like what's going to come and how's it going to end and this might be the end of me instead of looking at the Savior. Like this is not out of His control. This is not out of His care. I can trust Him and I've been saved for so long and I still have these tendencies to doubt. Maybe you're better than me. I don't know. God is good all the time in every situation, even in the hard things of my life. And I've come face to face with myself and cried out in my flesh, Lord, don't you care what's happening to me? This hurts. And I don't like to hurt. And how long do I have to hurt? We've all been there, I think, at times. But what we need to remember today is that He actually does care. He cares more than we could ever possibly know. And He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The Bible tells us that's the kind of high priest that he is. He's not some God out there that's unattainable, that, that doesn't have uh, uh, emotion or feeling towards us. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He understands our human condition. That's the kind of God that he is, even in the hard things. We need to remember that. They doubted His goodness, but they also doubted His grace. They said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? They think they're dying. They doubted His grace. Remember, it was Jesus who told them to get on the sea in the first place. He said, we're going to cross over to the other side. These men had left everything to follow Jesus Christ, and now He's led them into what they think is an impossible, dangerous situation 
And they're afraid that Jesus is just going to let them die. Don't you care that we're dying? Isn't that what they're saying there? We need to understand this. At times, the hard things of life make it appear that Jesus doesn't care as we struggle along. But understand this. Jesus did not save you to abandon you. He didn't save you to let you go when things start to get a little tough. He is absolutely committed to you. There is nobody who's more committed to you than Jesus Christ. He'll never forsake you. Hebrews 13.5, you can look it up. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know what that word leave in Hebrews 13.5 means? I will never leave thee. The word means literally to let sink. <laughs> they weren't going to sink. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know what the word forsake means? It means to abandon you, desert you, or leave you under any circumstance. That's what it means. There's nobody more committed to you than the Lord. And so when those hard things of life come around, we've got to remember, even though the boat feels like it's rocking and reeling, and we're about to go under, the winds are blowing, those waves are crashing, I'm feeling the pain and I'm feeling the hurt. He's not going to let me sink. He's going to hold me up, never to desert me under any circumstance. You know, men will desert you. People will desert you. But Jesus Christ never will. I don't know what's going to happen to me tomorrow. I'm in the middle of this ordeal of life I've never walked through before. And I can imagine out into the future, and I can imagine the worst. I can imagine all of these things. And that, those are the things that start to discourage me or to take me down. What I need to be doing is remembering that He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely committed to you. They doubted His goodness. Don't you care? They doubted His grace. We're perishing. He was the one who put them there in the first place. They doubted His word. Verse 35 tells us that Jesus said, let us pass over to the other side. Jesus had already told them what was going to happen. He told them before the journey even started that they were headed to the other side. And if they believed His words, if they're in the middle of that storm and they said, but Jesus said, we're going to the other side. He doesn't lie. It could have encouraged them. They could have had peace even in the face of that storm. But you know what? We act the same way. We absolutely act the same way. The Lord has already promised us that everything is going to be okay. He said, Romans 8, 28, if you love the Lord, all things work together for good to them that love God. Did He not? He's promised that He's going to take care of us. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, talking about the birds and talking about the flowers, talking about all those things, and, you, and God takes care of them. Aren't you much better than them? Don't you think the Lord's going to take care of you? These are principles that we need to be reminded of in those moments when we're fretting 
and full of fear. And if we could just learn to take the Lord at His word, it would help us navigate the things of life a lot easier. We'd understand He's absolutely the one who's in control. And I can rest in Him. Even while the wind is blowing and the waves are crashing. Notice, thirdly, the purpose of the storm. Go look at verse 39. Verse 39 says that He, Jesus, arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And He said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? When they woke Jesus up from sleep, Jesus went to work on their behalf. Even though they were faithless, Jesus still went to work on their behalf. And as he did, it taught them some lessons, some things about themselves and some things about the Lord. And they discovered things that we also need to discover about us as well as we walk through things of life. First of all, the purpose of the storm was to teach them something new about Himself, His power. The Bible tells us that Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. That storm that so terrified these seasoned fishermen was actually no problem for Jesus at all. He rebuked the wind, the Bible says. He spoke to the sea, and when he did, the wind fell silent, and the sea became like a sheet of glass. Boom, calm. Imagine that. I like to imagine it because it's like, boom, wow. Right? The wind just stops. And the waves stop, and the sea goes like glass. Just as easily as he had healed the sick, just as easily as he had cast out the devils, just as easily as he had raised the widow's son, he was able to control the wind and the waves and the sea. And I'm simply saying, his power that he had back then is the same power that he still has today. He hasn't lost his power. We serve the same Lord Jesus Christ. Your problem, your storm, your trial, it's no problem for him. He can silence it with a word if he wants to. He can bring great calm into your life if he wants to. But he might want to, and he might desire to allow that storm to just keep raging on so that you can learn something new about him. You know what? I'm thankful that the Lord does that. There have been times in my life when I would have never learned this particular thing about the Lord if I was not in this situation. And the Lord reveals himself to me in another way. Even though I love him, even though I trust him, and in those things, like there's, a, there's something in life that happens that, that just has overwhelmed me, and I learn something new about his grace. I learn something new about his power. 
I learn something new about Him that draws me closer to Him. And I would have never learned that if I hadn't walked through that trial. The purpose was to teach them something new about Himself, about His power. They said, what manner of man is this? They were learning something about Jesus. But also to teach them something new about His promise. Just as He said, they actually passed over to the other side. In chapter 5, and verse 1, And they came over to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. Guess what? Just like He said, they went over to the other side. He kept His promise. And you know what? He still does the same thing. Everything He's promised, He will do. He's not going to back away from any promise that He's made to you or me. And then look at verse 40. And He said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? He taught them something about themselves. That storm taught these men a lesson that they would not have learned any other way. It would have been nice if they believed the Lord, just simply believed His Word. It would have been nice if they remembered all the miracles that He worked in chapter 1 and chapter 2. But the storm came up to reveal their lack of faith, to teach them how to trust the Lord. And what about us? Here's where we need to make a personal application Because there's always a spiritual application or spiritual need that needs to be met in our life through these kinds of things. Listen, the Lord does not allow storms or trials at random and for no reason. There's always something spiritual at the heart of it. And it might be to teach us something about Him. It might be to teach us something about ourselves to increase our faith, but ultimately so that we grow to bring glory to His name. Sometimes He sends the storm to educate us and teach us to trust us. His purpose, here's the point, is not to hurt, but to grow. We can always trust the Lord to do the right thing. So, we've, talked, we've walked through these scenarios, we walked through this passage. What does it actually teach us, and what can we take away from it this afternoon? When Jesus calmed the sea, his disciples were amazed. And they said, what manner of man is this? They learned that he is the one who is in control of every little thing. Every puff of wind, every angry wave, every storm, nature itself. And here's the deal, friends. He's in control over every single circumstance of your life and mine. You say, well, why are you preaching on this? Well, I don't know exactly all the reasons. I don't know what's going on in your life, but maybe you're starting to Drift, and you need an anchor for your soul. I don't know exactly what's coming tomorrow. Maybe, maybe there's a storm coming tomorrow for all of us or in your life. 
Maybe you're going through one right now. I don't know the nature of your situation, but I do know this. No matter what it is, I know the one who can control it and the one who can calm it. That's what I know. He's the master of the deep. He's the master of your situation. He's the one who rules over land and sea. He's the one who has power to calm the storms that arise in life. And what you and I fear is actually no problem for Him. We can fear those storms. And why fear those storms, actually, when He's gracious? When He's a loving Heavenly Father who's never failed us, who's in control. And I just think to myself, man, all the years that I've been saved and all the things that I've walked through and all the things that I've experienced, I still need this. I still need to be reminded of this every single time. Because the storms just get harder or bigger. But I need to be reminded of the fact that nothing is bigger than Him. These men were able to experience His power and His peace because He was with them. He was right there. You know, it's the same in our life. He's right there. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Amen? I'll close up with this. If you didn't have the Lord in your life, how would you weather the storms that arise? You wouldn't. They would overtake you and they would destroy you. I'm so thankful that He is gracious and He is faithful to me and you. Amen? Let's trust in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You, Lord, for today. We thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Jesus Christ. He is all in all. Kind of Savior that He is, the kind of Redeemer He is, the kind of friend He is when we are faithless. How compassionate He was even in the disciples' fear when He already told them what was going to happen. He was gracious and kind, taught them the lessons they needed, showed Himself to them in an even more powerful way. And Lord, I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ is the same today. Just as He was yesterday, and He'll always be the same. Thank You, Lord, for Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that You'd use the Word today to challenge and encourage our hearts and speak where we need to be spoken to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.